Hey there, just a quick note that Federico lost power during our recording, and so for a good part of the show, I will be relying on a Skype track for his audio, and then in a little while later in the show, you'll hear it switch to his local audio. I cleaned it up the best that I could, and I apologize for uh, the quality, but it had to be done, and uh, I'm going to go lecture him about battery backups. Hello and welcome to Connected, episode 335. It is made possible this week by our sponsors, Squarespace, Baron Fig, and Impending. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined by Mr. Mike Hurley. Hi there, Stephen Hackett. Hey, it's good to be back. I am joined by Federico Vatici. Hi, Federico. Whoa. Hello. Whoa. Hi. Well, this is it. You leave for a week. I have to take over hosting duties. I can't give them up that easily. They just become ingrained in me. So maybe next week I won't do that, you know? Like, it's just like a tail off. Now I got to choose between mom and dad. (laughs) We do that thing where we're both standing far away from you. Come on, Federico. Come on. Say hello to us. And you're like walking backwards and forwards. Bribing you with presents. Mm -hmm. Follow up. Yeah, I've got some follow up on hay. So obviously hey. we, we spoke a bunch about Hay last week. Hey. Um, one of the things we spoke about was the Hay World thing, hey World. which was the blogging platform system that you could email, send emails to, and it would publish them for you. Uh, turns out Hay is now going to be enabling this to the personal Hay customers or Hay for You customers next week. Hay for You. It was kind of funny because I read this tweet from Jason Fareed where he announced it, and I didn't know that the personal accounts were called Hey For You, and it took me a long time of rereading to try and work out what he was talking about. Yeah, you've got Hey For Work and Hey For You. This is a new, this is a new thing, right? It wasn't called Hey For You. Well, no, because they didn't have Hey For Work. It was just Hey, right? So this is the tweet. It says, Thanks to all, for all the enthusiasm re Hey World over the past week. Good news. We decided to ship it to all Hey For You pay customers this week. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I was reading it and I'm like, what is it saying? But there you go. Um, so they're gonna they're shipping it to customers. and But it's not going to be for the business accounts for the foreseeable future, which I understand because as the, as as uh, Jason Fried says, it's like it could be a little bit weird for people to do personal blogging from their company email, right? Like you could end up in some weird crossed wires there. Like maybe your boss doesn't want you doing that on an email address which is attached to your company name. So uh, I mean, so here's the thing: if you remember last week, I was like, I don't know about this because I feel like it's like a distraction. And I still do feel like it's a weird distraction. But I then also stumbled across a web page called hey.com slash new, where it's just like a running list, which is a very nice web page of all of the features that they've added to Hey. And I will say, there's a lot of stuff they're adding all the time and a lot like for the platforms. So it was kind of like, okay, like I was impressed by this. There's a Considering it's still a new service, they still got a lot that they need to do. And it's encouraging to see how many features they continue to add to the service. So, you know, whilst I still think maybe becoming a blogging platform might not be the best use of their time, even if it's just on a like on a very um, limited system, uh, at least they seem like they're adding a lot of stuff uh, to, to the platform. I have also been, I have now completed one entire week 
using Hay because I set it up before the show. And I have a few more thoughts that I would like to share Please um, on this. So one, the Mac app is terrible because, it, I mean, it, it isn't a Mac app, um, but it's so bad. Like, it, it really is just a web page. You know, like it's, honestly, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I wish it was like an Electron app or something because you click things and you need to wait for them, right? Like you do on the web. Right, but when you're using it within what ostensibly tries to pretend it's an application, it feels disjointed. Yeah, it it is just to keep feedback from happening. It is an Electron app. It's just a bad one. Oh, okay. Well, okay, so I compare it to, say, Slack, right? Slack, to me, still feels like it's doing things like an application does. I know people give it a lot of... <laughs> they give it a hard time, Slack, right? But like, if I click into a channel, I'm immediately in that channel. If I say I'm in an email and click my inbox button, I wait a second because I can see it's loading it. And this isn't an internet connection issue because I have very good internet. It's just this is what it's like to work with web apps. And I don't. it just feels weird to me to do it. Maybe I've gotten them kind of mixed up in my mind as to like Mac people, you know? Like I maybe it was just because of the way it launched and, you know, it was like a lot of people in our community were really excited about it because these guys have been around for a long time, like with Basecamp and stuff. My assumption would just be like, oh, they're going to build a Mac app. And also I remember them saying, like making a big thing about like, they tried to submit their Mac app to the App Store and it got it was like the first thing that was rejected. So I just kind of expected it was like an actual Mac app and not just a web app. Because it's like the most web appy web app I've used in this way, maybe ever. Yeah. I think they're just web people. And that's just disappointing to me because the iOS app feels very responsive. The the like that uh, the but the app on my Mac doesn't. So that's one thing. Also, I'm having some issues, Federico, with categorizing email, right? If if I get an email from a person, like a person that I don't necessarily know personally, like they're not like someone that I particularly want to talk to all the time or whatever, but maybe it's the first time they've emailed me, I may be interested in the content. I may be interested in getting back to them at a certain point in time. I don't know where to put this email because I either put it in the inbox or I put it in the paper trail, or I put it in the feed. And that kind of email doesn't really feel like it belongs in any of those buckets. Because like with SaneBox, I put it in the Sane Later folder, because it's like, this is something I'll deal with later. But with Hey, I, I don't know where to put it. What would you do with an email like that? I put it in the inbox and I set it aside. What is setting aside? It's a, literally a feature called set aside. Okay, what is that? What does that do, though? And I know that the clue's in the name, but... Well, they have these two little, like, side buckets, if you will, okay. where you can reply later, which is one, and the other is called set aside. It's like a, like a temporary holding spot for messages. So reply later I use for things I'm going to reply to, like where I actually have to write a reply myself. Uh-huh. For those kinds of messages that I need to check out or like read or i don't know click a link whatever i set them aside uh, but i save them in the inbox because the feed i'm only using for newsletters and the paper trail for 
like receipts and like account, like, uh, you know, when, when you sign up yeah, for something exactly. and yeah. you get like an account verification code or whatever, those goes, those go in there. Right. But otherwise I just put them in the inbox and I use either reply later or set aside. Okay. The setting aside, I get a little bit more now, but again, it's still like, not. it just sits at the bottom of the inbox, right? You just see their names. Yes. I can I can imagine. I imagine over time it just becomes a little stack or whatever. But even then still like it's not like I would like another bucket, right? Where it's like I want to screen this person. So like I think of say like in in sales and and in stuff like you know like I I get so okay, what well I'll just explain it. Like I get people sending me emails to this email address, which is a Cortex brand email address, and they're suggesting, "Hey, you should look at doing this kind of product in the future." And my thinking is like I don't necessarily need to reply to that right now. I'll put it aside for a bit and then I'll deal with them later because I don't, you know, sometimes these emails are really long and I'm not necessarily in that mode right now when I'm in the inbox. So I would like to have like a fourth bucket, which is like, I will screen this person, but I will look at it another time. This is just a different way of doing things. I want to get used to it. And this was a stumbling block that I'd come across because I just didn't know where to put this email. <laughs> I didn't know where to go. But the setting aside, I guess I guess that could work. I'll try it. I've, I've just done it. For, for a week, maybe try that. Yeah. And we can follow up on how that works for you. Yeah, I've, I've just done it now. And I'll, I'll see what it's like with other stuff that comes in. It's not limited to the inbox. Like I, I also said, like a, for example, I just did it a few minutes ago. I set aside something that was in the paper trail. So it's like a universal thing. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know how to. It's not a folder because they don't call them folders. It's a shelf. It's it is a shelf. When yeah, you think it is about a shelf. It. It's a shelf at the bottom. No wonder you like it so much. Yeah, these these two little shelves. Uh huh. A shelf is like the perfect object when you think about it. Like in yeah. real life and in and in software. Digital shelves, of course. What a beautiful thing! I wonder who invented the shelf. I'm still getting used to it. And I'm, and I'm gonna, but I'm gonna keep going with it. Like I plan to give this like a year or something, and and really see if it becomes a thing that, that makes sense to me. But thank you for coaching me. Sure. Let me know if you have any other questions. Oh, I will. Uh, Tuomas wrote in, because we were talking about Apple Music HD last week, or like some kind of like hi-fi, and says, it makes sense with the HomePod or other speakers to have a higher definition audio, but the AirPods Max specifically would not benefit from it. They use the AAC codec at up to 256 kilobits per second for Bluetooth audio, which happens to be the current Apple Music codec and bitrate. Federico, do you have any kind of sense for this? That is true, uh, but I I have no sense as to is it something that you can add to the product later? Probably not, because it depends on the hardware. But I this is beyond my right. my knowledge. Could you not just change it? But that is a I mean, if that is the case, that's a very interesting point. Because it's like the one of the criticisms we had was you make this high end audio gear but it seems like they might already be maxing out the quality they can send to it. And I mean, of course, there are many other products and, you know, you could with like with wired products and also with the home pods where they could maybe uh, have it be higher quality. But it it would be interesting if they, if they couldn't get it to be any higher quality for the AirPods Max. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. Um, somebody, I, I I think we we talked about this already months ago and and we forgot. And now it's come up again. But that is definitely the problem, right? If it doesn't have the right codec for that kind of content, obviously it's not going to benefit from it. 
maybe that's why they haven't done it because they don't actually have the hardware to sell uh, to people. So if I was using Spotify Hi-Fi, well, we don't know what their quality is yet though, right? Yeah, I mean, so. Spotify is actually, I believe, has worse quality than Apple Music. Maybe maybe Spotify Hi-Fi will be 256 gigabits per second. And it's like, oh. <laughs> maybe instead of Apple Music HD, it's Apple Music SD, and it's just worse quality, <laughs> but cheaper. <laughs> that's the, that's the... They said they didn't want to do a free tier, but maybe they could do like a... Like a worse tier? They just shift every, all the branding around. Right. That's it. Like you, you can listen to music and it costs $2, but it sounds like a like a 4, 480p video on YouTube. God, that would be the ultimate thing to do. Like as a, like a, just like a funny thing to happen. And everyone's like, oh man, Apple music sounds so good now, but it was just the same as it always was. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you can really get the mids. And the uh, the crunchy highs. That's the audiophile experience, right? Did you have any luck, Federico, in finding a better uh, service or something for your Twitter-like experience that you wanted? Yes. Um, I mentioned this last week. I started using Mailbrew, uh, which is this service uh, made in Italy. Uh, really, really good stuff uh, coming from Italy sometimes. It's this service that allows you to collect multiple sources something like Twitter, RSS, newsletters, YouTube videos, and it collects them all in a single email that you get like a digest that you get at any time during the day. You can get it in the morning, you can get it in the evening. You can get it like me at 2.30 a.m. Uh, because there's some newsletters that I subscribe to, like um, Casey Newton's excellent plat- platformer newsletter that it comes out at my 2 p.m. So I decided to receive the Mailbrew uh, email at 2.30 a.m., uh, which is also when I'm usually reading before going to bed. And uh, they have this new, um, they launched uh, um, a new Twitter integration a few days ago um, called Top Tweets, which allows you to get your, like the best tweets from your timeline, which is basically like a version of the Twitter uh, algorithmic timeline. Um, so you can, you can choose to get um, the most relevant tweets from the people you follow. So that's one of the sections that I added to my Mailbrew Digest. And the other one is the Twitter likes. So what I did is I um, assigned the Twitter likes integration to my friends list on Twitter, which I mentioned last week. And you, Mike, yes, you're part of it, including Steven and some other folks. You're all part of the friends list. Uh, All you do is you you assign a list and then you say, show me the, uh, the tweets they like, these people like during the day and you can choose a layout so i chose this like grid layout with two columns and uh, you can choose how many likes do you want to get per user and how many tweets do you want to get in this section so i chose something like up to one like for each user in the list and up to 20 tweets so at the end of the day when i get my mail brew digest i get 20 likes from the people in the friend list which is usually a pretty good approximation of what the people I trust in terms of their taste, um, they have liked. Now, I could switch this and I could say, show me, I don't know, 40 tweets and up to three likes per user. And I'm still trying to find a better balance, better right. mix for that. But it's it's working really well. And I'm really, really liking Melbrew. In fact, I subscribed to the annual plan. Um, and I'm finding it really beneficial to get... Um, I'm actually going to give you... 
an example of the sections that I have in my uh, evening digest, I guess you could call it. Um, let's see. All the sections that I have in my mail brew. So edit. And it's really nice, the interface that you use to manage all these. So I have newsletters. So I got Casey Newton and the Pitchfork newsletter and the Chorus FM newsletter by Jason Tate, which is a music newsletter. Then I got uh, my likes. Uh, I got top links from my timeline. I also have a summary of the tweets from the friends list. So not the likes, but the actual tweets from Michael, Stephen, um, Steve Chatton-Smith, uh, all those people. I have a summary of the Apple subreddit. So the top posts from the Apple subreddit. Uh, I have the latest news from Chorus. Again, my favorite music website. And then I have two more Twitter sections for gaming links and Pokemon links. Yeah. And lastly, I have a separator at the bottom of the, of the digest uh, with three uh, YouTube channels. MKBHD, Digital Foundry, which is the Eurogamer, um, you could call it like a section. They do this deep uh, technical analysis on video games. Super fascinating. I also am a patron for Digital Foundry on, on Patreon because they do like 4K videos that you can download and I watch them via Plex. Super recommended. And this um, music channel that I absolutely love on YouTube called The Needle Drop, um, ran by this guy named Anthony Johnson, I want to say. Probably, no, it's not. Anthony Fontana. Yes, Fontana, thank you. Uh, the Needle Drop, uh, he's been doing this for years now. I first discovered this... He, he's, he turned into a meme for a bit, too, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. found him via an article in the New York Times last year, I think. And uh, I really enjoy his reviews. Um, it's, uh, you, I think it's the kind of channel that you either love or hate. Uh, <laughs> And and I personally like I tend to agree with a lot of his views. Yeah. So um, some albums, like some uh, album reviews, I just ignore because they're not like my type of stuff. But a lot of the other reviews I enjoy uh, watching. So it's nice to get a summary of the latest videos in the Mailbrew newsletter as well. So yeah, I'm using Mailbrew uh, again. They don't have a native app, which is a bummer. I think they're working on it. Um, it would be in an ideal situation, I would prefer to have a native app just for Twitter likes, but in the mm -hmm. meantime, this will do. And it is, as I said last week, it is indeed a very, well, not very, no, but it's a nice PWA. It's actually pretty nicely done. I really hope they do a, a native, uh, a native um, version of it. Um, at this point, I'm up to two newsletters based on uh, Substack. Mm. I don't know. I, I literally don't know. Like, I'm not interested in any other. Like, I try to check out the Substack homepage. They have, like, this Discover section. I only subscribe to the Chorus FM newsletter and the Casey Newton one. I'm keeping an eye on it, as I think, you know, obviously we're seeing more and more folks in the media industry are, you know, putting together their own newsletters. And um, they have this new web app called the Substack Reader, which is also like an RSS reader and yep. a newsletter client all rolled into one. They don't have a native app. I'm not sure if they're running a test flight for it or not, if they're working on an iPhone and iPad native app. Um, 
it's also pretty decent via the web, but I still prefer to uh, click on the links that I get um, to the newsletters via Mailbrew. I'm not interested in, you know, uh, using Substack Reader as a replacement for my actual RSS Reader. Uh, no, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so this is what I do now. Mailbrew, really, really good service. Um, and the Twitter likes feature uh, works for me so far. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, complete with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store, host a portfolio, or write a blog. Where Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. And there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. You don't have to worry about upgrades because Squarespace has all of that kind of stuff covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. lets you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. One of my favorite things about Squarespace is that everything, of course, is just drag and drop. You can bring in new sections, you can rearrange sections, add pages, all very easily. But if you need to go deeper, they have tools for that as well. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com CONNECTED and the code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. News broke a few days ago that the popular iOS weather app Weatherline is being acquired. Uh, there was a blog post written by the team over there. The app is no longer in the App Store for new downloads, but if you had a subscription, that's been extended for free. Uh, and the app will be shut down April 1st, 2022. So you've got a little over a year, which I was trying to think, like, that is one of the longest runways I think I've seen for an app to go away, be sunsetted after, like being announced at the time of acquisition. You know, most of the time it's like, we've got to keep working on the app. I guess that's the problem with a subscription-based business. Yeah, maybe so. If people paid you for a year, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, so there's another 13 months there. Ryan and some of the other folks behind it have said on Twitter that uh, they are not going with the app. We don't know where it's going. We don't know who bought it. But uh, they are not being aqua-hired away. Because they have some other apps that they uh, they do. It's weird. It's weird. It's a strange story. Uh, the the mystery buyer. Yeah. I don't recall. I think this is the first case of a relatively popular app being shut down and being acquired by a mystery buyer. I think this is very fascinating. Um, just because it's the first time that I that I'm seeing this kind of story in relation to an app on the App Store with a mystery buyer. Because it's strange because it's been bought. The developers aren't... It wasn't bought for the development team because the developers aren't going with it. It's not an Aqua, an Aqua hire. They say the app is shutting down. Right. But somebody's bought the app. <laughs> My expectation is, is it's a company of some description 
that is in the weather business and just wants to buy a code base to build their own app on. Or maybe, yeah, I can see that. Or maybe uh, they were interested in that feature that they had in the new uh, version of the app. What's it called? Like the ultimate forecast or something where they were aggregating multiple weather forecasts from multiple sources okay. and providing you with the single like best estimate type of uh, yeah. thing. Yeah, I think that also like ties into my theory. Is somebody in this business who wants something that Weather App has, but either can't or doesn't want to buy it to, to make it themselves. So they've bought the code, basically. Because if the app is taken off the store and is going away and the subscription shut down, but somebody owns the app, like what is it? You know, like, so that it's, it's a very peculiar story, I think. Because, you know, you would assume like, oh, they've been bought by Apple, Google, whoever, right? And they're going to go work for them and make their weather app. But that seems like it's very much not what the case is. Like, that's kind of, as soon as it was announced, that was like, I just immediately assumed, like, I guess many of us did, oh, they're going to work for this company, but they're not. And no company seems to be coming in and saying, hey, we now own Weatherline, and it's going to be called Weatherline by AccuWeather. And, you know. This is where I have some personal news. Are you good? Do you buy it? <laughs> is it yours? Yeah, it's going to be uh, five twelve pixels weather line. Did you buy it because of the ice storm? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like I I need more data, more more data. I need more data <laughs> on the ice swords raining down on well, me. Well, congrats! I can't wait to see what you do with it. Congrats and good luck. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think um, you know they have some themes. I want to do a brush metal theme, of course, aqua, and do uh, aqua theme. Mm-hmm. Some an, an iOS six theme, maybe even. Yeah, just linen everywhere. Linen everywhere, uh, stitched leather. I mean, why not, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the move is carrot weather, right? I feel like if you're a Weatherline customer, you carrot weather is probably now the app for you. They have their own version of the UI inside of carrot weather, like the the line interface. And I saw they were tweeting today as we were recording that they're going to make a widget out of it, which they didn't have before. And a lot of people really like the Weatherline widget, I think, for that reason. So. I mean, you know, we've, I think we've all agreed, the three of us, that Carrot Weather is our favorite app anyway. So, of course, we'd recommend it. But I guess that's probably the best next step for most uh, Weatherline customers mm-hmm. is probably Carrot. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Especially because of the personalization. If you're the kind of person who's into this more, this richer data visualizations for your forecast and you want to customize and tinker around with it, I think Carrot Weather is definitely the best one around. Uh, all the other weather app, uh, weather apps from the popular services, they, I don't know, they all look kind of shady to me mm-hmm. because of what they do with ads and you know data collection. Uh, I signed up for, <laughs> I signed up last year for this Italian service uh, that was promising like super accurate, hyper local, you know all these buzzwords, uh, weather forecast for the Italian region. I was like, okay. And they, they asked for like three euros per year. I was like, sure, I'm going to give you three euros. And I signed up and I swear, I tried to unsubscribe from their newsletter like 12 times. And I keep receiving emails about the weather forecast in Rome. And I'm like, I don't care anymore. I don't need your service anymore. And they keep sending me emails. Like they're following me around. 
every time you answer, you unsubscribe, they re-add you to a list and they send you an email from a different address. I would like to talk about the uh, Macintosh One, Macintosh, and Bluetooth. So I'm having issues. Uh, oh, okay, I have an issue and a tip. So we're going to balance out here for everybody, right? I have a complaint that I want to make, and then I want to make maybe some people's Macintosh life a little bit better. So I use a Bluetooth Logitech mouse, the MX Master 3 for Mac, which is, it, this one doesn't come with the dongle, it's just Bluetooth. This was mistake number one. <laughs> I wished I wouldn't have done this. I don't know why I did this, because the one that comes with the dongle also has Bluetooth. I don't know, I'm stupid. I just did what Amazon suggested and bought the Mac one. It runs so badly on my MacBook Pro. It's jittery. It's slow. It sometimes feels like my cursor's moving at 15 frames per second across my screen. It's so bad. And I know Apple, have, like, they've, I know they've tried to address it and it got a little bit better, but now it's getting worse again. And I don't know why. Like, it was okay for a while and now it's getting worse. I've tried, you know, I try turning it off. I try repairing it, everything. The trackpad, my magic trackpad, Works so fine, like fantastically, like a dream. My mouse, it's horrible. I just wanted to share my frustration here in case other people are also feeling this. It really is terrible. Stephen, is this the case? You do you don't use a Bluetooth mouse, do you? You use the the one with the dongle, right? Yeah, because I use a, a now not made anymore Logitech mouse, and so it, it's got a dongle. Um, and you know, that's kind of annoying, but I'm glad that I don't have to face what you're facing because that sounds terrible. Uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm a couple of days away from just buying another mouse again, which I don't want to do because the MX Master mice are expensive, but it's like, it's just so frustrating to use the mouse on my Mac and I kind of need that. It's a pretty important part of the overall experience is being able to use a mouse. I would now like to give a tip. Okay. So. If you're like me, you may use your AirPods or your AirPods Max of your Mac. And sometimes, inexplicably, the sound quality just becomes horrific. Like you're, you're, you're listening to music, and then it sounds like you're listening to music over a phone call. Right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Yeah. But what's happened yeah. is that you've experienced this, Stephen? I have. Um, I think you were getting ready to say what I was getting ready to say, where some applications like Zoom... Mm-hmm. put like change the audio it's like, like the, the audio profile to the a audio profile gets changed and then like, like you go back profile. to itunes and it sounds like garbage exactly and i it's kind of like i sometimes i know this happens but it seems to happen randomly like i haven't opened any new applications but like all of a sudden like i paused my music and then played it again and then it sounded like i was listening to music from a tin can so like this is i think for lower latency if you're having a phone call or whatever if this happens to you open system preferences go to sound then go to input and choose the system microphone so you turn off the microphone of your airpods like you change the microphone to something else and then it will work great again sometimes you might need to take your airpods out and put them back in again but then it will be great. So these are some Bluetooth situations that I'm having with my Mac. But this is, I guess this is the life that I've chosen for myself now. Um, so there is my complaint and my tip. There's definitely something going on with Bluetooth with these these new M1 machines. Mm-hmm. I don't run into that on my Mac Pro unless I know, you know, basically I know what it's doing. Like I know Zoom is... <laughs> Is at fault? Like they've even tried having an update. One of the big Sur updates was like it fixes Bluetooth. Yep. No, not really. Not yet. 
So it, it definitely got better for me after that update, but has since gotten worse again. And I don't know exactly why that would be. Yeah, there's something there's something going on there, and hopefully they can get this squared away pretty quickly. I don't think it's like a hardware issue. I think it's probably a driver or something that macOS just isn't doing what it's supposed to do because you don't run into this on iOS. And I would assume the Bluetooth stack between the M1 and iOS devices is relatively similar. And as I said, like my Magic Trackpad, which is also operating over Bluetooth, has no issue, but my mouse is just struggling big time. Yeah. Get a dongle. Well, I mean, yeah, I might have to, I have to get a brand new mouse to get the dongle was the problem. Yeah, it's a bummer. You can't add a dongle to this one. You have to use one of the ones that comes with the dongle. It's a real bummer. I'm sorry. Music Memos has died. Wasn't it already dead? It's It's been weatherlined. I, no, it definitely hasn't been weatherlined. <laughs> Nobody bought this app. I have some personal news. Uh, wow, you're picking them all up. <laughs> also, as where I was last week, I was signing the paperwork. Uh, I now wow. own Music Memos. So wow. you own Music Memos and, and Weatherline. Are you going to like bring them together? I am. Uh, oh. It's going to be called uh, Sounds of the Storm. What about Chorus Line or something? There you go. Mm, that's well, good. You got, you got three good brands to pick from there, really. Yeah, it was announced a while back that it was going to be killed. This came out in um, 2016. The idea was like you were like a singer-songwriter and you hit record and you could sing and like record your instrument and like take notes. Uh, people were just using voice memos for this. And after music memos, people just kept using voice memos. And so uh, it was announced um, quite a while ago that it was going to be uh, be pulled and unable to be downloaded after March 1st. That date has now passed, and true to their word, can't download it anymore. I don't know. I still don't know why this app existed. I think it was probably a pet project of somebody. It just didn't... Um, I don't think it did enough to be worthwhile. And, you know, this doesn't help Apple in, like, the the thing we all say when we see one of these apps, right? It's like, oh, it's never going to go anywhere. Like, why would they... You know, why would it spend time on this? Like, I think we thought about that with Clips, and Clips is hung on somehow. Mm -hmm. My guess is Clips is way more popular than the three of us think it is, but... Or at least it's more popular than Music Memos. At least, yeah. Like, we have to kill one of these, which is the least popular. Oh, Music Memos. Does Clips get installed on new devices, or do you have to download it? I think it's pre-installed. I think it's pre-installed. I think Federico's right. I think if anything gets pre-installed, it's probably got a decent chance. Clips, though, it's literally like the only one of these experiments that maybe has found some moderate degree of success. With with the youth. The youth are using it. You think so, though? Like, uh, are they really using it? People who think they're youthful are using it. I mean, Apple's press releases make you believe that they're using it. I still have to find a single example of somebody preparing an Instagram story in clips rather than Instagram itself. Like, I I don't know. Yeah. Well, don't forget Game of the Year 2019, Warren Buffett's Paper Wizard. That was a success. Talk about apps that should have been pre-installed. It was so successful, they had to pull it from the store after a couple of months because people were just, you know, it was too much time was being wasted mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to beat Warren's unbeatable score. It's the, the, the original <laughs> NFT. <laughs> hey, 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 there we go. <laughs> Look at us, kids. <laughs> We're relevant. 
<laughs> I have some some more news. Okay, what have you bought now? AirTags. You buy your first NFT. Oh, you bought <laughs> AirTags. You should NFT some of those photos of the old IMAX. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk about this, Stephen. You should get into the whole NFT thing. Now I muted it on Twitter like the first no, night. No, I muted. This feels like something for you, man. Yes, this feels like something that you should do. Okay. Well, for those, I mean, I know how it works, but to other people, explain how it works. <laughs> so an NFT stands for non-fungible token. <laughs> it's just a great phrase, fungible. A fantastic yeah. acronym for a product. Uh, so it's basically a way that people have figured out to get paid for digital stuff using the blockchain, the blockchain and Bitcoin, basically. It's a way to uh, to to sell something uh, digital, like a di- just to just to save you from follow up. It actually uses Ethereum, not Bitcoin, as the backbone of the blockchain. Okay, thank you. And it's a way to basically sell something that is considered authentic mm-hmm. and like the original copy of something. Mm-hmm. And people have been purchasing like video clips of Michael Jordan slam dunks or uh, they've been uh, somebody purchased the original like the neon cat meme yeah you know the neon cat right steven the rainbow like the cat yes so, the, the original creator made a new version in a gif and has sold it yeah for i don't know how many thousands of dollars money and it's all the rage right now um casey newton actually made a really good argument in his newsletter about this um of how this is basically the the byproduct of creators on different social networks trying to find way to um, to monetize their audiences because social networks have not given them enough ways to do so. And how this is interesting now in the context of Twitter, for example, sort of waking up and doing things like super follows mm-hmm. uh, because they they have a sense that they have reached that kind of tipping point with creators wanting to find ways to make more money off of their most loyal fans. But in any case, um, Stephen, NFTs, um, what is something that you could put together digital that is that you can say, hey, this is the authentic version of it. I want to make you rich using the blockchain, basically, okay. and this podcast. I have a couple of ideas for you, Stephen, and these are legitimate. Some of the best photos that you have of the iMac G3s are just beautiful art. And also the wallpapers that you had remade Yes. Mm-hmm. You could you could mint them, which is what it's called, where you're saying this is mine, and then you could sell it. And so here's my favorite thing about the NFT stuff, like legitimately. So, well, one, just as a sidebar, I kind of don't have an issue with this. Like, let's eliminate the potential environmental impact from this discussion. It's obviously an issue that needs to be resolved around like electric electricity usage around the blockchain. That's like, we can all agree on that. And like, I see people saying, this is stupid. Like, how could you own something? All value and all ownership of anything is defined upon social construct. And the idea of scarcity, which in this case, you know, they're trying to sell you on by saying this is the original minted copy of it. Yeah. Exactly. But like if I own a, a piece of artwork, right, like I don't think it matters in what form I own that piece of artwork, I own it. And one of the benefits, I guess, for the blockchain stuff is I can prove I own it and I own the real one because my name's attached to it, which is not a thing that you can do with other art as easily because forgeries or whatever. But my favorite thing about NFTs is the original artist 
gets a cut of any sale of that art forever. And I think that that is how art should be done. So it should be sold, right? So if, Stephen, if you sold your first NFT for $100 and then someone bought it for $100,000, you would get a cut of that $100,000. So there are artists right now that have been doing this for a little bit and they are making tons of money because the market's there and people want to keep buying up these pieces. So I've been seeing like artists on Twitter. Like I just saw this guy yesterday. He just posted like a screenshot of an $11,000 royalty that he got for nothing because somebody bought his art again. So I think it's cool. There's problems that need to be worked out. There's a bubble that needs to like relax a little bit. But this to me honestly feels like a better use of blockchain technology than than new currencies. I saw um, somebody tweet about this idea of writers um, selling quotes and like little passages from their books or articles Ooh. as NFTs. Like I would buy that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you sell like, uh, I don't know, like a really good sentence. <laughs> I don't know. It's my sentence. <laughs> It's mine now. That would be like, you know, the thing in the office where it's like uh, the only, it's like the only shots you don't, the only shots of the ones you don't take, like the Wayne Gretzky quote. And it's like Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. You could do that, right? Because it's my quote now. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, Stephen. Look into this. You should mint some of your artwork. Hold on. Okay. So NFTs, they can also be audio clips, right? Mm-hmm. NFT. <laughs> we should sell the one of the most memorable moments of this show as an NFT. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did did we just reinvent podcast monetization, guys? Possibly. I think we just did. Man, that's a not. It's like actually not a bad idea, <laughs> right? Pick a clip. We'll mint it for you. <laughs> And then you can buy it. <laughs> I'll sell my I'll sell my words. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Stephen, you should look into this. Look into this. I know you don't want to, but come on. We're all trying to help you here. This is today. Stephen sent us a screenshot of uh, a domain that we made him by a year ago called Was it Stephen's Merch? Stephen'sMerch.com. There you go. We've just helped you. Stephen'sMerch.com 2.0. It's just all of your NFTs. If you're running the 14.5 beta, beta 3, just out in the open in the Find My app, there's just a whole tab dedicated to items. And if you tap on it, it shows the artwork that we've all seen and the leaks of the key and the backpack and the bike. So it's now people, devices, items, and me across the bottom of Find My. So I'm thinking we're going to see these here. Pretty soon, I actually have a very specific non-original theory that, yeah, 14.5 beta 3, like 14.5 will come out with new iPads this month and with AirTags this month. And it's just, uh, they tripped the flag and it's in the beta. This top bar at the bottom of Find My, it's basically a description of my life at the moment. So like, describe your life in four words where there's me, people, devices, and items. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, all there is. <laughs> this is funny. So, if I add an item, it says searching items. Follow the instructions provided by the manufacturer to make your item discoverable. Okay. It's searching, but obviously, I have no item, I guess. Right. Because this, we talked about this in a previous episode. Third parties can also use Find My. 
So Tile, for example, is going to be taking advantage of this? Potentially. I, mean, I don't know about them specifically, but... No, see, they can, but they won't, I feel like. Some companies will, but it's like it's the same as the... I'm sure I've already said this before. I apologize for repeating myself. It's the same as the like HomeKit Secure video. Like, you just have to give up everything to Apple, right? Like, you don't get to make a service anymore. And a lot of these companies make hardware and services. But then you get a company like Logitech who are like, we don't care about the service, we'll just make the hardware. And so I would expect you'll probably see some stuff like that. But the popular, I would be surprised if the popular companies in these spaces, companies like Tile, would would do this because you lose your competitive advantage. It's all gone. But maybe like Studio Neat could come out with one made of walnut or something. Yeah, and that's what they probably would. There's a walnut and felt. That's what it would be. Do it, Studio Neat. Do it. Do it. So uh, so it could just be that, but I mean, come on. It's got to be our tags. So yeah, you can see it. I think we all think 14.5 is coming the end of March with some iPads, maybe. Maybe the, the beginning of April. Apple has done... I saw um, Joe... Uh, I've never said his name out loud before. Mm-hmm. How do you say this? Resigno Federico, help me. Jo- Joe Mac uh, Rumors. Joe Resigno? Resigno? Can we just call him Joe Mac Rumors? Jo- Joe Mac Rumors. Um, or Mac Rumors Joe? No, but I would say, so in Italian, I would say, hold on. Do you want the really Italian pronunciation? Yes. Yeah, that's why I looked at you. It looked Italian to me. Rossignol. There you go. So that one. I can't do the R rolling. So just okay, I'll say I'll say his first name and then you say his second name and then I'll carry on my sentence. Right? Ready? Joe Rossignol said that uh Apple apparently previously said that iOS fourteen point five was going to be released in quote early spring. And so that would kind of be towards the end of March at the earliest, which I guess would kind of make sense. Do you guys think there's gonna be an actual event in March? And if so, when? I think there could be like the new style event with a video. Yeah. But if it if if it's just spec bumped iPad Pros and AirTags and maybe like AirPods 3, like that can just be like the week of press releases again, which in some ways was more fun than an event because every morning you woke up, you thought is Apple going to do something today and then there'd be a press release with Tim Cook drawing something on his iPad. So I'm going to go with string of press releases. Okay, Federico? Press releases. Okay, I think there'll be an event, so... Wow, okay. One of these videos that they did last time. And I think that just based on that, the one that they did where it was what? Was it iPads and Apple Watch? Yeah, it was like not, it was not very much. Yeah, so I feel like new iPad Pros, potentially updates to other iPad models... And air tags and maybe AirPods. That is like video event worthy in my mind. Like that's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the week of press releases was from the before times, and so, and possibly an iMac, possibly as well. Like if if they do the iMac, I mean, I feel like there's got to be a lock for an event. Yeah, I saw something I didn't have in the show notes, but some SKUs of iMacs have like really fallen off the calendar as far as getting them shipped to you. So could be. I don't know. Uh, I'd love to see some more Apple Silicon Macs. I feel like I've seen that headline constantly over the last year, though, of like this well, Mac, yeah. iMac is is low in, like just very specifically the small iMac is low in stock, right? <laughs> As we've waited for the last year and a half. It's because there's like three people who hand build them and one of them was sick. <laughs> they're all, so the, the joke is they're all built to order. <laughs> so so if, if four people order them in a week, they get back ordered. They're not... 
When's the last time you sat at a 21 half inch iMac? It's not very big. I I feel like I, w- I can't remember and I would be really surprised to see one, I feel like. Because it's just, I know it's going to look smaller than I think it will. I mean, I've been ruined by my 32 inch, but that's a that's a small computer. Small, slow computer. 14.5 beta 3 also includes additional changes around the default music service for Siri. Federico, can you walk us through this? Yeah, so it was apparently removed in beta 2, or at least some people were not able to add and change their default music service in beta 2. Now it's back in beta 3 with a different uh, message when you try to play something on, say, Spotify or some other music or podcast app. Now it uh, Siri actually tells you, uh, let's see, I had a screenshot of that message. It says... I'm learning how to choose the right audio apps. Which one do you want to use to listen to this? And later, when you first confirm your choice, uh, for example, in my case, it said now playing Oasis on Spotify, you can always ask me to switch to a different app. Your choices will help me learn the ones you like. So it sounds like a couple of things here. Um, There's still no page or no visual option in settings to see the defaults that you've changed. And it's, it sure sounds like at this point, Apple just wants you to customize the experience via Siri and Siri alone. The idea of like Siri intelligently learning sounds horrible to me, if that's what they're doing. <laughs> the most dangerous sentence in this whole like series of explanations is, your choices will help me. Like, yeah. no, 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 look, I don't want you to feel like I'm helping you. You just got to do the thing I'm asking. Like, I don't need you to learn. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm just telling I'm just like, I'm politely asking you, but please don't like. So I hope that once I just pick Spotify once, it'll stick to that. I kind of feel already what's coming, which is sometimes Apple Music will just randomly start, start playing audio. I have noticed that in CarPlay, at least, if you just ask Siri to play an album, it now has appended the in Apple Music to the end of its confirmation. So if I say, you know, play uh, the Seniors, it says now playing the Seniors on Apple Music. Is that something you do often, Stephen? Every day. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. I I still would prefer to just have a, you know, how all all apps have a dedicated page in settings where you can customize notifications and Siri and search for those apps. I would just like to have for audio apps a toggle that says make default in Siri or something. I mean, they did it for browsers and email clients. Just do it for audio apps as well and make a settings page. And I get it. You, Apple, you hate Spotify. It's probably your biggest competitor. But still, Google is also your competitor. They created a page to pick your default browser. Why not? Why can't you just do the same for music? Is it because music streaming services like Apple Music, you want people to sign up for that and you don't want to, you don't want maybe people to discover that they can use Spotify as a different default? I don't know. I guess I just don't understand why it has to be changed in Siri alone and it can be a page in settings. there will be articles. There will be guides from people saying, "Here's how you can cost, you can oh, yeah. uh, you know, switch from Apple Music to Spotify and iOS 14.5." So people are gonna do it. But why does it have to be a series-specific option that you switch? I mean, maybe Apple views it differently than 
a browser or an email client because you're not you don't end up tapping a mail to link and like opening sure. the wrong mail application right so, but which is to your point a dumb distinction like just put a setting page so you don't have to like ask Siri to do it and the Siri's gonna forget or like yes thank you for helping me help you like we can get past all the cute stuff and just give me a toggle that's what I say this episode of Connected is brought to you by Baron Fig. You and I know how important pen and paper is to creativity, and so does Baron Fig. They're a startup that launched in 2013, introducing the Confidant Notebook. What originally started out as a small project between designer and CEO Joey Caffone, his and his friends, Joey and his buds, as they were known around the paper world, <laughs> Joey and the buds, uh, they quickly turned into something more. Get this, in the first 30 days, they sold, this blows my mind, nearly 10,000 notebooks. And they realized there was a lack of quality thinker products on the market. Since then, Baron Fig has expanded their line of tools for thinkers to include notebooks, writing instruments, bags, accessories, and so much more. My wife is a big Baron Fig user. She has uh, some of their journal notebooks that she has used for a really long time. And uh, I asked her if I could see uh, one of the empty ones off the shelf. And it is really high quality. The paper is great. The colorway is really nice. She got these light blue ones and the bookmark ribbon is yellow. It's like a really nice package. And it is something that um, it's like a nice object. And then you write in it and now it's this nice thing for her, part of her day every day. They sent me the idea tool set, which is three of the great products. It's the Guardian Pro case, the Confidant uh, notebook and the Squire rollable pen. And they have great colors. I went with blue, yellow and pink, like rose quartz. It's amazing. And their packaging super good too. I really appreciate the packaging. Everything comes uh, put really nicely together. It's great stuff. Listeners of Connected can use the code CONNECTED20 to get 20% off their very own idea tool set, which includes a Confidant notebook, Squire pen, and Guardian case. Baron Fig not only works towards championing thinkers around the world through inspiration and imagination, but they're also dedicated to leaving the earth better than they found it. That's why for every Confidant notebook sold, Baron Fig plants a tree with tens of thousands planted and counting. To get your tool set and plant a tree today, go to baronfig.com to receive 20% off your purchase of the idea tool set. Baron Fig, do your best thinking. Our thanks to Baron Fig for their support of the show. iPhone time. <laughs> Already? <laughs> wow. It, it never ends. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's earlier and earlier every year. Yeah, of we, course, there aren't new iPhones. These are rumors of new iPhones. Well, they're new somewhere. That's true. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo has a bunch of reports that have been uh, put out over the last week or so. Uh, we'll go through some of the stuff that we've collected. So the this is there's basically reports about the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 14. And I think some 2023 products as well. So it was like three years worth of stuff. Isn't the first time he's done this. You know, like, I, it was like a couple of years ago where his report was talking about the four iPhones mm -hmm. that we ended up with this past year. So it's a thing that he does. He's aware of stuff that's coming down the line. And some of the things don't make sense until you see them. Uh, and I remember, like, us talking about it whenever it was about, like, why will there be four iPhones and two of them are the same size, but every iPhone's getting bigger? It was all very strange. 
um, but we ended up with the iPhone 12 line. So the iPhone 13, the line, will have smaller notches, ProMotion displays for the Pro models. The sensor shift from the iPhone uh, Pro Max will be on all four of them, and the Mini will remain. So that's for this year's iPhone, the 2021 iPhone. I think of everything going on there, clearly ProMotion is going to be the big feature, right? Like it, that's going to be the thing that people are excited about. It's probably going to be the thing they put most of their effort behind. It's interesting, right? Thinking about uh, things that come to all phones, because in the past when they just had one iPhone or one iPhone just in two sizes, it was like, yeah, this is the year ProMotion comes or this is the year that this or that comes. And now... They don't only have the problem of they've got to have the technology fitting in four, you know, pretty different size devices looking at the whole spread. Well, ProMotion's just the, the Pro phones. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sensor shift is the thing that will be on all four of them. But it's got to fit in the different sizes and it's got to fit in the different price points. And I, I have to imagine that figuring that out is complicated. I don't understand how sensor shift is coming to the to all of the phones like my understanding from when it came out and everyone was talking about it is it needs physical space to fit the larger sensor in it so how do you go from like it only fits in the pro max to now it fits in the mini i don't understand this (laughs) i don't get it you know apple sometimes says like oh because the phone's bigger we can do this and that and i feel like that's not always strictly true or there's already a, a version ready to go that fits in a smaller phone you know i don't know i don't remember from the keynote but I don't know how explicitly they said this is only in this phone because of the size. I just I don't recall. I had an experience with um, like a higher refresh rate display again. Like I mean, I feel like I'm very used to ProMotion on the iPad, right? Like to the point now where I don't really notice it. It's just how my iPad feels. But um, I just got a new monitor which I'm using for my MacBook Pro and my PC, and it's a 144 hertz monitor, so it's a higher refresh rate monitor. This doesn't do anything on the Mac, but when I use my PC and Windows, everything feels really smooth. Like, and it, I notice it especially because I go same monitor from one operating system to another, right? And when I'm using Windows, everything feels more responsive than it did in previous uh, times that I've used Windows PCs, in part because of the fact that I have a higher refresh rate display. So I'm very excited for what a higher refresh rate display will look like on my iPhone. Um, because I'm so used to the way that my iPhone operates and I'm so used to the way it looks and how it feels. And I imagine it will be just like every person who's ever gotten used to an Android phone with a high refresh rate display. Everything just feels faster. And I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it looks like on a small display mm. on a phone, especially especially for games. I think mm. I mentioned this before. Like, I want to see the... Because I have a pretty good sense of what it looks like on on on, you know... On other devices, but on a phone, I struggle to imagine that. And I wonder if it'll be the same feeling as you would get, like on an iPad, for example. Um, if it's worse, if it's like something that you don't notice, or maybe if it's more noticeable. Because I never used a, a smartphone with a high refresh rate display. Mm-hmm. So going back to the cameras, apparently the ultra wide cameras will be improved in the pro models possibly getting sensor shift on those as well interesting okay so they're putting it on everything basically that would be nice i mean right now if you switch the ultra wide like very clearly it is a it's the worst camera on the back yes i'm sure the it won't be as good as the regular wide but getting it closer would be welcome very welcome 
Um, but I think one of the things that was interesting to me about these camera rumors from Michi Kuo is there doesn't seem to be anything specific for the Pro Max in, in, in this hardware, which I think was just surprising to me. I, I kind of thought that the 12 Pro Max was was kind of setting the stage again for using the physical size of the hardware and the advantages that that gives you to differentiate the camera hardware again. But maybe that won't be the case, or maybe they'll only do it every couple of years. I don't know. What if it is uh, like something like 6 or 8K video recording that may not show up at the level that he is looking at things, but I could see them doing something... Something like that that is maybe it's hardware, but also it's software, like the Apple ProRes stuff in the Pro models. Could be interesting. Yeah, and maybe it's like it needs battery life. You know, like maybe maybe if you shoot 8K video, you just destroy your battery or something. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's twice the case, so they got to have space for them somewhere. That's true. They're just going to fill it up. The phone has to be bigger to fit the movies inside. Speaking of batteries, the iPhone 13 lineup will apparently see larger batteries, so the phones are going to get slightly heavier. Which, again, like, if the batteries are getting bigger, where does the space come from for the sensor? I don't understand. Yeah, you you make it thicker or... Maybe thicker, but he said heavier. He didn't say thicker in the reports that I read. I don't know. How how smaller can you make the sensor shift uh, technology? Like a second generation version of it. It must be smaller would be my assumption. I mean, I don't know, right? But like I assume it surely is a bit smaller. But isn't the whole point about having a large sensor is what you want, though? Like does making it smaller not defeat some of the purpose of it? Who knows? LiDAR is going to remain on the Pro models, which is a surprise to me. The best feature of the 2020 iPad Pro. Yeah. Favorite feature. LiDAR. I want it everywhere. And see, that's the one I kind of thought that would show up on the smaller phones before something like Sensor Shift. Because it seems more in keeping with the overall objectives. Right? Yeah, it's like more in line with the AR stuff. It, I mean, I don't know. I haven't taken a part of should. iPhone 12 Pro, but like looking at the back of mine, the LiDAR sensor doesn't seem as big as a camera. <laughs> like You can put that in anywhere. Uh, lightning over USB-C for the, quote, foreseeable future. The mm. 2021 iPhone will not be portless. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo suggests that Apple will likely stay with Lightning until they go portless. This is a quote. At present, the MagSafe ecosystem is not mature enough, for, uh, so the iPhone will continue to use the Lightning port in the foreseeable future. So that's like, you know, no portless point, which I'm actually really happy about because I don't want my only charging option to be Lightning. Uh, MagSafe, sorry. I know you're afraid of wireless charging, but that that philosophy, like that quote just totally discounts some people use Lightning for data. Like, some people still sync. A bajillion people have mm-hmm. wired CarPlay in their cars. It's like, well, uh, Lightning is more than just a charging thing, and MagSafe can't do data. So yeah, there's still something missing there. Uh, apparently, as well, in regards to USB-C, uh, Apple doesn't like that USB-C is an open standard because they will maybe then not be able to make as much money from their made-for-iPhone accessories. Yeah. And they also say that it poses some waterproofing challenges. Uh, I mean, so I went and looked on Samsung's website. The Galaxy S21 line uses USB-C, and it's rated at IP68. So I don't... Clearly, it can be waterproofed. Just because it's a little bit harder doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. 
No, I mean that's like a real tenuous thing, right? Like I, th- I think, like yeah, sure, maybe it's it's easier for Apple to waterproof it, but like everyone else has worked it out, so like I'm sure they could too. Or maybe that's like that's finally the thing that's outside of Apple's expertise, right? They just they just have no way of waterproofing a USB C port. It's like we finally met the edge of our skill. That's right. All right, so that's the 2021 phones, right? So now we're going to move to 2022. So this would be the iPhone 14. Or the iPhone... Don't do it. You're just gonna, Steven, you're just going to confuse things. Oh, this is the iPhone 13. Yeah, because this year is the 12S. Right. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? That sounds like a 12S year to me. It sure does. All right, so then this is now the iPhone 13. So the iPhone 13 in 2022 is going to switch from a notch to a hole-punch display, Samsung style. I like it. I like it. I think it... I I love that kind of design. We just... You have the little camera hole in in the corner or maybe Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the center. I don't care. But it's all display. Like, it's the... We said this years ago when when Samsung first started showing... Do we lose you, Federico? Yeah, he's gone. Um, oh, he's got a power outage. That's unfortunate. Wow. I hope his file saved. Depends how he was recording. Now, now what? I guess it depends on like what kind of outage we're talking about. Did his power go off and on, or is it like off, off? I don't think this has happened before. No, this is a new one, which is kind of incredible, really. Mike, why don't you start over at the hole punch thing? That'll give me a clean place. Yeah, sure. So it will just go to Federico for whatever his thing is. So some 2020 iPhone models will switch from the notch to the hole punch display, like on Samsung phones. Okay. I like it. That's the direction that I wish they were going to go all the time. I really think it's a superior design to the notch at this point, especially because of the the sense that you're getting from those phones with the whole punch display that you're holding a display. Like, yeah. all you see is a screen in your hands. It's content, right? And that whole punch area for the camera, it's much less distracting than a whole notch, right? At the top of the display. So... I can imagine that this, you know, an iPhone that looked like that, it will look super hot. And I I really hope they're doing this. But what happens to Face ID then? Exactly. Like, what happens to that? Can they make a Face ID that lives under the screen? Or are they really going back to Touch ID under the display? And so we're getting rid of Face ID also as a byproduct of the pandemic. Well, let me tell you, actually, I'm going to jump forward a little bit to the 2023 iPhone. What iPhone is this? Is this 14 or 15? The 17. Okay, 17 in 2023. Currently, Apple is targeting to sell at least one phone with an under-display fingerprint sensor, periscope telephoto lens, and a full-screen display with no cutouts of any kind. So the assumption there is the camera is under the screen. And there was, I saw a MKBHD video, I think, uh, with a phone that's doing that. And I mean, it looked trash, but of course it would, because it's the first time that they've done that. Any 
companies done this. So I could imagine if that's something that could happen in 2023, maybe in the 2022 iPhone, they're able to move some of the sensors behind the screen and then the camera comes next, right? Yeah, it's that's definitely possible. I mean, I think that this is... If, it, if all this pans out, clearly it's an evolution. Of course, it may also be Apple just testing different things in manuf- at, you know, in small-scale manufacturing to see, like, well, this works when we hand-build it in California, but can we do it reliably at a, at a larger scale? I think they definitely have options besides Face ID. Like, there's the obvious one that I think we all want in the next iPhone, which is the iPad Air's Touch ID button. Like, just slap that on the side of the phone. But ultimately, I think Apple does want is to be as clean as possible and like an in-screen an in-screen fingerprint reader if it's done well like that just seems so apple you just touch the screen and you're in like of course they want to do that sounds that that 2023 phone sounds pretty sweet to be honest you're just gonna wait for that one skip the next few yeah i'm just gonna skip them so you're waiting for the iphone 17 right yeah i'm gonna wait straight for the 17 in 2023 and then the 17S could come in different colors, you know, it's one more year. Oh, maybe I'll just wait for that one then. Sure. iPhone SE, the next iPhone SE is apparently coming in 2022. And it's wait, just what year is this? We're in 2021, right? So when you say 2023, yeah, it's, it's next two years year. away. No, 20, I'm on back to 2022 now. We skip forward. No, but I was thinking about 2023. Yeah, 2023, the iPhone 17, that's in two years. And WWDC, they're going to do it again in 2022. Well, at least that's what we hope. I don't think they're ever bringing it back, but this could be a question for another time. Mm. Uh, the The iPhone SE will be uh, revised in uh, 2022, so not this year, next year. And apparently it's just going to get 5G and the new processor. So not a 2021 product and all other physical attributes of the phone staying the same. So, uh, okay. Yeah, so stay the same and update every two years adding 5G and a new system on a chip. Okay, yeah, that's like a spec bump. Makes sense. All right. I mean, how how long are they going to keep that iPhone 8 look, though, right? So what's that, another four years or more with that phone then? I mean, maybe they keep it until they have in-screen touch ID everywhere else. Like, I mean, mm. it, it definitely anchors the low-cost phone, and I think Apple likes that to be a thing that exists, so... I think they just keep on making it for a while. I mean, look, the iPad and the iPad Mini look the same as they have since the first iPad Mini and the first iPad Air, right? It's that the design. Yeah. I mean, the the iMac looks the same as it has since 2012. Apple's not afraid of leaving an old design around. And then I'm just going to read a quote. And the SE is not driving like new sales cycles in China or in other markets where the new design is a is a bigger deal. Like, yeah, the SE is there if you if you just need a phone. And you want an iPhone, it's like you just go get an SE and you don't you don't worry about it. And then the last one is the rumor of a foldable iPhone with a 7.5 to 7.8 inch display in 2023. I'm just going to read a quote for this because it's like, there's not really anything to say. A 2023 launch would be dependent on Apple being able to solve key technology and mass production issues this year. The product has not yet officially kicked off, so it appears to still be in the research stage. That was from Mac Rumors. That's it's kind of that's like a nothing. I mean, okay, sure. <laughs> but that's nothing, right? This this one is like a nothing thing. Like, yeah, maybe, but also maybe not. But maybe a little bit. Like, okay, I don't know. Fine. So they they may be doing it or not. <laughs> it depends on if they want to do it or not. 
<laughs> at some point <laughs> if they can in the future if they can or not <laughs> cool <laughs> thanks publish <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh boy what would a steve jobs edition phone look like i think it'd be like clear acrylic or colored plastic or something i would be into that well Me too. we talked about that um that italian company making jeans <laughs> named steve jobs yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't they get sued they got sued and they won i think right really? and they're making steve jobs branded jeans steve jobs is an italian company and apple can't do anything about it based in naples this was back in 2017 they have a facebook page incredible is it called steve jobs inc unbelievable <laughs> it is called uh no it's not called steve jobs inc steve jobs inc is another thing i don't know why this exists but yeah they're making steve jobs jeans and you they have a oh they have a logo which is like a the letter j that is shaped like an apple okay subtle okay awesome <laughs> very nice this episode of connected is brought to you by impending who are now hiring Impending is a small team shipping apps straight into pop culture, like the top game five years in a row, Heads Up, where you try to guess the word on your forehead with clues from your friends. Heads Up has been played billions of times around the world and generated a lot of laughter, something we all need. And it's developed by a team of just four people at Impending, but they're looking for one more. They're looking to grow their team by hiring a new engineer. Could that be you? It's a full-time salaried position with a solid work-life balance and a flexible vacation schedule, and it's remote-friendly. Go to impending.com slash hiring for more info. That's impending.com slash hiring. There's also a link in the show notes. Uh, to learn more about the remote-friendly engineering opportunity at Impending. One more time, that's impending.com slash hiring, or find that link in the show notes. Our thanks to Impending for their support of the show. So I was doing, or rather not doing, something recently that made me think of <laughs> <laughs> this potential fun topic for the show. Um, as I was staring at my phone, I realized there were two things I was supposed to do a long time ago and that I keep putting off because I'm lazy uh, and because I don't want to, because I, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I, if I get it wrong. And so I thought, what are things that we're supposed to do on our computers, on our devices in general, that we continue to put off because we're lazy or because, you know, any other reason? And I'm going to start with mine. Uh, and I'm going to mention that I still have not figured out my what's the deal with my dual Apple ID situation and the Apple One bundle. Uh, as I mentioned before on the show, I have... Two Apple IDs. I have an Italian one, which is my iCloud account. Uh, so that's used for syncing between devices, for backups, for iCloud photo library, for everything related to iCloud. But I have a separate US-based, don't ask additional questions, please, Apple ID that I use for App Store purchases and subscriptions. Okay? Yeah, but why, though? Because... No, no, you said not to answer questions. If you say don't answer questions, don't answer them when people ask you. you well, know? you are not people. You're like, mm. you're part of the show. <laughs> so as being part of the show, I can answer. So I used to be, many years ago, 
that all the cool new apps would launch in the United States first, right? And developers were doing like this limited rollout and you would get access to the app only if you were based in the US. And so as a young and enterprising blogger from Italy uh, with my Italian Apple ID, I increasingly grew frustrated with that limitation that I wanted to write about something new, but I couldn't because that new app that everybody was talking about was not available in the Italian App Store. So I used a method to create a US-based Apple ID, which I've been using since 2009, 2010 maybe, as my primary Apple ID for all kinds of purchases on the App Store, the iTunes Store, Apple Music, Apple TV+, Apple News Plus at some point. Um, and yeah, that's been my media, I guess, Apple ID for over a decade at this point. Um, and so, obviously, as you can imagine, I don't want to lose access to that. And right now, I, I, I know that I will have to do it eventually. And I know that a couple of people have, have gotten in touch with me. This is part of the reason why I continue to put this off. Because two people got in touch with me about this issue months ago. And you know, it's one of the situations where one person saying the complete, the complete opposite of the other. So one person said, I did it. I'm based in Denmark, I believe, or something like that. Based in Denmark, and like you, I had a Danish Apple ID and a US-based one for the App Store and the iTunes Store. And I merged them and everything was fine. And the system figured out that I was paying for the two terabytes of iCloud storage. It figured out family sharing and it retained access to all of my previous purchases from the App Store and Apple Music. And I was like, okay, fine. That's good. That's good to know. A few weeks ago, another person got in touch with me saying, I'm from Australia and I, uh, I have an Australian Apple ID and an American one. And when I merged them for Apple One, everything imploded. And I lost access to my documents and I lost access to my App Store history. You see, that's the kind of thing that I'm like, well, even though I'm paying more money uh, than I would pay by bundling multiple services together, maybe I'm going to stick with my setup that has worked <laughs> yeah. super well over the years. Uh, but I would like to investigate it, right? I, I would like, for example, to have Apple Fitness Plus as part of Apple One Premiere. But I'm also very afraid of what's going to happen. I don't know. So th this I continue to put off. Yeah. And I So of the two things that I have to share in this segment, this is likely the one that I will continue to procrastinate on because I'm, I'm lazy, yes, but also terrified of the outcome. The second thing, which is a more reasonable one, I think more people can relate to this one, and this I will likely do in the short term, maybe like, it's one of those things that you gotta do one afternoon, maybe over the weekend, I don't know. I need to find time and patience to migrate all of my old notes from Apple Notes into Craft. And um, unfortunately they, there's no exp like import from Notes feature in Craft, so I just have to sit down and copy and paste between the two of them and one by one and i know that this will be useful to me because this kind of cleanup you always find stuff that you're keeping in an archive and you yes. really don't need it anymore no um but i just i just gotta do it right because for example something that i started doing years ago i have a personal memories folder in notes where i save screenshots of 
good things that have happened to me over the years, like, you know, mm -hmm. somebody tweeting an article of mine, you know, getting a, you know, getting a like from a famous person. Like, I'm a sucker for those things. Mm -hmm. um, oh, we all have this. So, photos, right? yeah, I have a folder with those screenshots and those I will have to migrate manually, recreate the title and it's going to be a manual process. It would be much better if the craft folks, I mean, they listen to the show, right? And they take feature mm -hmm. requests, apparently. So, hey. <laughs> Only from the show. <laughs> Only from the show. So, hey, I mean, if you, <laughs> you want to add an import functionality for Apple Notes, be my guest. But yeah, these are my two things, right? So figure out the Apple One bundle situation and move all of my notes from Apple Notes to Craft. And now I want to hear from you guys. Okay. I've, I have been using the Macintosh more recently. Yes, we got that. Yep. He called it his computing platform of choice on Upgrade Plus. Wow, that's a, that's a high praise. I know. I wrote it down in my in my, in my personal memories journal. I don't. That's, I'm fine with that for, for now. I want to do some of the things that powerful Mac users do. You know, like automation of sorts. I want to learn how to use Keyboard Maestro. I want to understand hazel scripts and stuff like using hazel i've been thinking about like window management tools you know because it's still the thing that i hate the most about the mac is just how messy the window management is just in general i know that apps exist i know resources exist i know that podcasts exist mm. to teach you about things that powerful mac users will do yeah what would you call that show the point is i'm putting these things off right like that's the point i have all of the ep i have episodes about keyboard maestro i have episodes of the of automators about like hazel stuff i have them all in my podcast queue but I'm not listening to them because I'm putting them off. <laughs> but these are the things. I sit down and I'm like, Matt, you know, I should take some time. And then well, my main thing was I downloaded a keyboard marker and my brain leaked out of my ears. And then I decided to come back to that another time. I have a question uh, for you. Because this is something that you do often. Often you come to me or in our group chat and you're like, I want to figure out why people are using X, right? Yes. But... Mm -hmm. Don't you think that maybe if you haven't found a need for this stuff yourself, it's because you really don't need it? Right. So here's the thing. With Keyboard Maestro specifically, I do have things that I want to do that I know it can do. Okay. Well, then you're just lazy. It's just, it's, it, well, really, my laziness has come from the fact that it's really difficult. The thing that you're specifically talking about is that new chat app. I think it's called Quill, which I really wanted to try but none of you punks would try it. <laughs> you punks. <laughs> I just wanted to try it. And you were all saying like, yeah, sure. And nobody would accept my invitations except for Stephen. I replied to one message from John Voorhees. Yeah, but not with me. Well, that's because before getting your message, I already made up my mind about it. Everyone's like, oh, I don't like Slack anymore. I want to try something else. Something else comes along and you're all like, ah, I can't be bothered. It was confusing. It was Everything was a channel. It was like multiple threads going on everywhere. I really didn't understand the main dashboard view. Well, that's because we have to take the time, you know, to learn. But none of you want to take the time. I just want my instant gratification, man. Yeah. Wait, so so Mike, this was about 
things that you were supposed to do that you put off for the future. And now you're talking about something Federico and I put off for the future. Yeah, don't put the blame on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, what can I say? I'm an overachiever. <laughs> I'm also doing your work for you as well. This came up because Federico started to, for some reason, I think this whole this whole topic was just a trap so Federico could make fun of me. No, <laughs> no Because I said the things and you're like, what's wrong with you? Why you always say you want to do these things and you never do them? Uh, look, I'm just a therapist. I'm listening to you and I'm asking you questions. You set a trap. It's not a trap. Mm-hmm. It's a I'm I'm a I'm a good listener and I'm asking you questions that I know you're already asking yourself, even though you you don't want to admit it. Does this say something about me that I think is a trap and you say it's therapy? Like <laughs> this is where I come to a realization that I think therapy's a trap. <laughs> oh no. I think maybe you should find somebody to talk to about that. <laughs> but it's a trap. This whole thing is a trap. <laughs> we are in your brain, Michael, right now. <laughs> oh man. Oh. <laughs> Therapy's very good, I believe in it. Although, oh my god, the word trap is in therapy. It's, hey, trap, it's an anagram for therapy. You know, I just feel like I need to say that therapy can be very useful and it's done a lot of good for me and a lot of other people. Don't listen to Mike. I just said I think it's good. I have also many times in my life. But just at the moment that I realized that an anagram of therapy is, hey, trap, like now the wheels are coming off. I need to talk to my therapist about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing wrong with my computing setup whatsoever. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, Perfect. look at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I do have a problem. My problem is an Apple Photos. Oh, yeah. You don't have an album for me. That's your problem. <laughs> I have album, many, many albums. And I had a smart album called Asterix, so it's sort of the top, not in albums. And so I could go in there and say, okay, I have a bunch of images that aren't filed away. I need to decide if I want to keep them, decide if there's any editing, and then file them away. This has gotten out of hand for me because I haven't been doing it. And I just opened my Not In Albums smart album, and there's like 450 things in here. And that's not... David Spark says that I should just rely on tagging and facing and placing and all of those things. Facing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we said this to you too, like which was the whole no, yeah, lots of people have said thing it. around the fact that we realized how you betrayed Federico by not having an album for him. I don't have an album for you either. You both have faces data. No, I'm pretty sure you do. Oh, it was faces. That was it. You didn't at the time. I think you didn't have face data for Federico. I was just a faceless entity yep. in Steven's yep. photos database. I don't know what to do about that. The problem he doesn't even apologize. <laughs> the problem with... He doesn't care, he doesn't that's care. Okay. So, like, a bunch of my stuff has location data, right? Because most of the stuff's taken with iPhones. But if I were going to do tagging and face stuff, I have 46,743 photos and 1,500 videos. Like, I can't, I can't add data to that many items. And a lot of these items wouldn't surface in search without this stuff. And so I'm still committed to the album lifestyle, I just need to get a grip on what has not been sorted yet. Technically, these photos are sorted into an album, right? <laughs> yeah. But, they, <laughs> but I don't want them to stay they're there. They're just all in one album. I want them to go where they live. Just do the work then, I suppose, you know? So when are we going to take care of these things collectively? Soon, but not yet. What if, here's the thing, what if we all do them for each other? I'll arrange Stephen's photos... <laughs> 
Stephen can sign up for uh, Apple One and go through all Federico's no, private no, notes, no. and Federico can set up automation on my Mac. Why do Easy. I feel like I got the short end of the stick here? Like I, I got one person possibly destroying my entire history <laughs> in my Apple ID and looking at my most private notes. Mike has access to my entire photo library. That's not great. Old computers and photos of your dog and your kids. Yeah, I mean, any photos that you don't want me to see, surely you've already put away into a secret album. Unless there's a secret Steven we don't know. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, let, let's follow up on this in a few months and see if we actually took care of these things or not any of these things or if the list has just grown maybe mike will be a new mac power user it's gonna start talking about hey i made this cool macro in keyboard maestro well i mean already in this episode i I was complaining about apps that weren't mac like so i think i've already made the full transition right you're complaining about the uh, mac like apps you're talking Mm -hmm. about automation i mean what's next for you right Mm-hmm. Or are things that Mac users say all the time? Maybe I'll buy a Pro display. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I know so many people that have bought one of these things now. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website at relay.fm slash connected slash 335. If you want to find us online, you can do that too. You can find Mike on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E. And Mike uh, does keyboard friday club hangout on twitch friday keyboard club ten thirty a.m eastern time friday at mike.live you can find federico on twitter as vitici v-i-t-i-c-c-i and he is the editor-in-chief of macstories.net federico i have a question for you okay federico's question to me last week was so good i hope you can live up to it it, it what was it i i don't remember uh, would you rather be very weak and immortal That's or right. invincible? But <laughs> Very weak. <laughs> I also saw that as like, you're stuck in bed or something. <laughs> but I can't be killed. Just a very frail man. <laughs> <laughs> but live forever. Or be super strong, but die real soon. Yeah. If you're super strong, it feels like... Anyways, okay. <laughs> How much personal space do you need to be comfortable? <laughs> and has this changed in the last year? <laughs> Wait, in which context? What do you mean no, personal space? Space around your person. Like physical space? I'm comfortable around people. I'm a... Yeah, Federico's a toucher. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I'm very... Which uh, I like in my friends. <laughs> um <laughs> because when somebody is comfortable around you that when they're talking to you they will put their hand on you it makes you feel connected to that person because yeah. you are physically connected i like it uh, i'm yeah i'm very comfortable with um, physical space like i have absolutely no problem um it's we- like oh, hold on like it's weird if somebody that i just met like literally just met starts mm-hmm. touching me like in a in a like friendly way, but with my friends, like with people I know, I'm yeah, I'm super fine with it. Steven's not a toucher. 
You want to meet someone who's not a toucher, Stephen. No, but I think about this, like I think about this in the context of like when we go to WWDC, because I know that some a lot of people are not right, and so I try to I try to remember this, and I limit myself to like, and I try to read the other person, see if they're comfortable with the handshake. Back when we used to be able to do handshakes, yeah, or not, right? Because some people may not be comfortable with that. So I, by default, and this is something that I learned over the years, I always try to keep my distance by default when I'm when I'm at a public events like a conference for example but if i see that the other person wants to go for a hug or a handshake i'm fine with it whenever i see somebody do the two-handed handshake you know like the one handshake and oh no no no, no. you can't trust those person, people i always think of you I, because at that time where you said you can't trust someone who does that and i will never understand what the problem is there but i always think of you they're over eager they're one up you know, they're, they're out to get you. Never trust those people that put the hand on the handshake. That's how everyone on LinkedIn who messages you about their company, that's how they shake hands. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> the kind of person that does the two-hand handshake. That LinkedIn message, when it's like someone you've never heard of trying to connect with you, that is the digital version of the two-handed handshake. <laughs> Before we go, I want to tell you about another show on Relay FM. It was mentioned earlier. It's Automators. If you like Connected, there's a good chance you'll like Automators as well. If you want to make your devices do more for you, join David Sparks and Rosemary Orchard. You can find them on the Relay FM website. Automators got really fun artwork. Go check it out. You can also search for it wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Squarespace, Baron Fig, and Impending. Until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.